Good morning, Turks and Caicos. Welcome to the program Expressions. I'm your host, Robert Hall. On this bright and lovely morning, and I'm going to tell you, hey, I'm feeling just as bright as the sunshine. Having had a very, very healthy breakfast, uh, man, I tell you, some lovely, lovely uh, sort of uh, boiled-down steam or whatever you want to call it, fish, uh, with some mashed potatoes and onions and whatever you Wow, I'm ready to do a five-hour show if it's necessary. <laughs> I hope you uh, have had a very healthy breakfast and looking forward to a great day. Every day for me is great. And I give God thanks. You know what I'm saying? So many of us complain about just about everything. Some of you complain you don't have the right shoes to wear. What about the man who don't have any foot to put shoes on? You know what I'm saying? Ha <laughs> ha. We complain. We complain. You got a three-bedroom house. I'm not saying don't be ambitious. Mind you, only you and your husband, you know. But because you want to show off or live up with the Toms, you want five bedrooms. Then you can live the rest of your life paying mortgage. Come on. Let's be grateful for what we have. Let's always stop all the complaining and complaining. Yes, there are areas when you have to complain legitimately. But give God thanks because you cannot contradict me as a country we have come a long way in a relatively short time and I dare say without the upheavals and suffering that many many countries have had to go through so we have so much to be thankful for. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you with a spirit of thankfulness, thanking you for all of your mercies throughout the times. We thank you for those leaders who have gone on, who have struggled for this country, made tremendous sacrifices. We thank you for those that lead now. Our acting governor, our premier and cabinet, leader of the opposition, and all who strive to make life better for the people of this land. To thee, we must give thanks. And so we pray that you will endow our leaders with wisdom, with understanding, with compassion for the people, and never to forget the reasons why they have been chosen for a time like this. Indeed, it is challenging with some of the most vicious crimes having uh, taken place in this country. Lord, we pray that you would touch the hearts, the lives of those criminals that are wrecking havoc on this society. Let me give you thanks. 
We pray for the children of our land. Many who do not know which way to turn, whom to emulate. Many from families where there's no proper example set. Guide them, their Heavenly Father. As we go through this program today, we pray that you would specially bless our Minister of Finance and Deputy Premier. It's an awesome task he has, but we pray that he will execute his duties fairly and try his best to make people enjoy their best days as indeed some of them are enjoying their best days. Forgive us our sins and bless this land we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to welcome all of my listeners throughout the Turks and Caicos Islands, wherever you happen to be. Of course, home, drum, home, home drums beat first. I want to welcome all of those in this beautiful by nature Turks and Caicos. Whether you're over there in Salt Key, welcome. Here in the nation's capital, a big welcome to you. Down there in the Big South, welcome to you good folks there. And to the Twin Islands of Middle and North Caicos, welcome to Expressions, the program that tries to keep you informed of what's going on and give you a voice in the affairs of your country. A good morning and welcome to those on Pirate Key and Pine Key. And, of course, over there in Providenciales, good morning to Gerald, his lovely sister Judith Williams. Good morning to the Morleys over there in Five Keys. You see, I got problems with names. I got to just generalize. But, Matty, how are you, my dear? You're special to me. Good morning to Rose Higgs. How are you? Haven't heard your voice. I don't know if you've been avoiding me or what. But anyway, my dear, you're still a Rose as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Arabella Rosalinda, good morning to you. You know, what's up me no more, but I can still hail you, whether you hail me back or not. Good morning. And Irvie, how are you doing, my brother? Good morning. All those who may be over there on West Caicos and Amagrees Keys, well, welcome to Expressions. And here in Grand Turk, Brother Kennedy, I hope you are well. I haven't heard your voice for a little while. Yes, and Jonathan, thou art all, almost always with me. I don't think I heard your voice for a little while. Welcome, likewise. Good morning to Miss Mercedes Francis. How are you doing? And to Della Calamore. And to Mr. Pear and his wife over there in um, Palm Grove. Good morning to you. Good morning to Mr. Tom Saunders and his wife. Uh, hope all is well. Uh, good morning. Good morning to Nurse Jolly. Wow, had a very nice chat with her yesterday. Uh, and you know what she said to me? She has never missed a show except the Friday show. Wow. And then I understand Hyas and Aswood is in a similar boat. And so is Judith Williams. And several others. Maybe others of you in the same category, you should 
what's up me, let me know, or text me, whatever you, how you want to do it. Let me know that uh, if you have never missed a show, you never know what can happen, you know. This is expressions. We spring surprises. I don't know exactly what will happen on Friday, but I have some long overdue business <laughs> that I got to take care of, and I hope that time uh, and opportunity allows me to do that. And, of course, I know that the lovely uh, Miss Lewis down there in Providenciales, uh, the mom of the Minister of Education, she is a regular listener to Expressions. So welcome to everybody. Today, it's certainly a pleasure to have down there in Studio B the Deputy Premier and Minister of Finance. I'm here at Studio A in Grand Turk. I'm a little disappointed that I cannot sit with you and look into your eyes. The other day when I spoke of uh, Akira and I said perhaps a blue or black, she said, no, her eyes ain't blue. Well, I ain't sure what colors your eyes, but that's not all that important. It's just that I like to be there. And unfortunately, because of a little miscommunication, I have not been able to join you at Studio B in Providenciales. But I hope pretty soon all these kinks will be ironed out and we will be shining here on Radio Turks and Caicos, shine bright like a diamond. <laughs> yes, I see my technical operator, R.I.G., giving the thumbs up. Uh, that means whatever he can do to make it shine bright like a diamond, he's going to do that. Yes, when I spoke of Miss Lewis, I'm talking about uh, the lovely Simona Louise. Good morning to you. With that, um, welcome, Honorable Minister. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Can you hear me? Hearing you loud and clear. Thank you. Yes, it's nice to have you in the studio. And uh, as usual, I do not write questions. We're going to have a conversation. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Uh, great. I, I know you, like uh, some of the others in your camp, you're always ready. Uh, whatever I bowl, you're ready to bat. <laughs> All right. Anyway, let's see if we can dismiss some, should I say rumors, dismiss them to the boundary, to use a cricket terminology. There's been a lot, and I'm not going to follow up all of the nonsense that I see on Facebook, and I don't expect you all to respond to all of them. But at times, it's necessary to clear the air. As far as your role as Minister of Finance and Deputy Premier, do you feel that you're getting the kind of respect that is due to you from the Premier, your colleagues, and others. I ask you a straight Q. Give me a straight A. Um, I think in general, Robert, I mean, the answer is yes. I mean, the thing about it is that the, uh, the Premier was the first Minister of Finance, um, I think in 2003 or whatever, but, but when we got the position... He was the first minister of finance. And then when we get in this elected government, in our government, he 
was the Minister of Finance for the first couple of months. And he's a giant in the Ministry of Finance. And I think the PS and a number of other persons, the budget director, the the economics department, in terms of the statistics department, they've all worked with him. And they have great respect for him. I've only been in the position less than two years. So I think it would be unfair to expect that just coming in, they would automatically have the same level of rep, uh, so respect uh, and rapport with me as they would have with him. And the, uh, But I don't think I'm being disrespected. I certainly know that he's the premier, so he's the captain of the team, and he, he loves finances. And so there would be times when his instincts would be, let me call and go to the, directly to the, the department. Uh, and so and I think people see that. They think that it's a bit of disrespect. Uh, I, 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 didn't, I don't think so. And at the beginning, I've always said that, jokingly, that the premier will hand over finance at the end of the term, because I know that he loves it. Uh, but I'm doing well, and I think I'm coming into my own and finding my own feet. And I think the team is starting to, to learn and get comfortable with me, and, and we're learning each other's styles. So I'm happy with that. Yes. Um, there are lots of personalities involved, and that is true. Whenever there is change, uh, they're bound to be that, should I say, learning curve. Um, so much has been in circulation, some I won't refer to, but in the same light that I was dismissive of what was said about the leader of the opposition tearing, sorry, the former uh, premier, Charlene Cartwright Robinson, tearing down the current leader of the opposition. I, I don't think she is that type or have any reason to do so. I also would like your response with regards to what is being said uh, and I wonder if the Premier had whispered anything to you with regards to cabinet reshuffle or firing or anything like that. Uh, some, of course, I have been dismissive of, like when they said the Minister of Education uh, wants to leave the PNP and join the PDM. That makes absolutely no sense. I don't think anyone would want to leave a boat that's sailing uh, for a boat that is at a standstill, and better yet, leave 10000 for 5000 I don't think so. That makes no sense to me. And what's even worse, when they say that the PDM doesn't want her, oh gosh, that would have been a moral victory for them if they could have attracted someone from the government side. Do you share the same sentiments as I do? I, I actually do. I mean... I, I certainly don't know what the what the premier is thinking at that level, but I don't think he, he is is planning on having a cabinet shuffle. Um, there's nothing that that gives me any indication that the premier is thinking that. Uh, I, I don't know if he while well, looking at making tweaks in order to make things more efficient. You know, in January, a few he made a few tweaks. Uh, gaming came on, on the finance. Labor was moved to immigration. So uh, I'm not sure if his planning is making little tweaks like that. But I have no indication at that point that the, the premier is, is, is getting ready to make any type of uh, cabinet shuffles. I, I know that they had my name there in terms of uh, finance. I believe that I'm doing well in finance. I think the numbers speaks for themselves. And uh, I think I made that clear during the budget debate. But I, as I said when I was campaigning, that I, can, I think that I will do well in any ministry. 
I'm a very focused and hardworking individual. And so if the premier came to me and said that we do need to make changes in order to accelerate the delivery of our um, campaign promise, including the promises we made in the citizens' contract, would you be looking and in moving into another ministry in order to accelerate some things that we want to carry out in those areas? I, I would have no problem. I, I would put my hand up. But I don't think he's considering that. I think I'm doing well in the Ministry of Finance, and I think he's happy with that. All right. Anyway, well, that's reassuring because, uh, um, you see, if we had a stock market... Uh, then certain major changes would send tremors through there. But anyway, <laughs> I guess you cannot feel tremors in what you do not have. <laughs> All right? Uh, let's get on now. The budget session uh, just passed. And, of course, this was historic in many ways, and it was the largest budget. Um, before we get down to some little nitty-gritty there... Uh, the leader of the opposition, like I said, although some were critical of my analysis, but I'm always straight up. I thought he has had one of his best moments. And um, again, something like your father who loved, cr loved cricket and played cricket very well. I was an all-rounder, but also a good bowler. A couple of his balls just about clipped the bales of your wickets. Do you share my sentiments when I said uh, he did fairly well in analyzing uh, your speech or, you know, rebutting? Uh, notwithstanding, like I said, and I stand by my words, he chose length over depth. What's your reaction? Uh, I think I think the little opposition did well. I, I think Tanner's analogy would probably be be better for me. I think he held serve, uh, and I think in tennis it just means that he he won the serves that he was doing. I think he did. I think he certainly did the job that he he needed to do. And as I told someone immediately the morning after his speech, that he probably didn't win over any PNPs, but he gave enough to his base uh, to have talking points. Um, there are things that. I felt that cause, because budgets are uh, compromises. So whenever you do a budget, resources aren't infinite. And so when you're dealing with a finite resource, you have to make compromise. So you'd say, okay, well, we will spend more on scholarships, but we will spend less on this area over there. And even though the, you may be spending in terms of dollar months more on each area, you can't give out $100 million worth of scholarships. Otherwise, you have to affect health. Or you look at health and you say, okay, we're going to give health a 50% increase, but we're only going to give education a 5% increase. And so you have to look at where you make the compromises. And so if anyone wants to, to attack a budget, they can just attack the areas in which you made the compromises. And then it's your job to come up and explain and defend why you make those compromises. And so he did a pretty good job pointing to areas in which we made compromises. Now, if I was the leader of the opposition, I would have taken a, a different approach. Now, I'm not going to give him uh, tips on how he should attack our budget, <laughs> but, um, but I would not have taken that approach. But he did what he was needed to do, and he, and he did a very good job. He certainly made it 
made, made a requirement for me on the day when I was wrapping up to have to defend some of the things that he said. But I, as I said before, it was it is a hysterical budget. It's the first time the country has ever budgeted over four hundred million, even though. Last year, we ended the year with with revenues over 400 million. And the year before that, we ended with revenues close to 400. But please keep in mind that when we were elected, revenues were below 300 million. And the highest revenues have ever been in the country before we came into government was 313 million. And today we're at 417 million. And that's the point I was making that the economy has grown under us uh, from the highest ever at $313 million in 2018-19 financial year to today where we're budgeting $417 million. And, and every department, every department is getting far more uh, budget allocated to them than since we at 2018-19 at the highest year previously. And so a rising tide raises all boats. So even if you look at the budget year and year and you say that there are some departments that are not getting as much. If you look at where we were two, three years ago, every department is, is getting significantly more. Yeah, the, it's unquestionable that the economy has been performing quite well. But I want to recognize, and I hope you don't mind me calling you EJ. I'm very comfortable with that. I would prefer you to call me EJ. Uh, no disrespect whatsoever, because you know I have tremendous respect for you. Um, respect for virtually all government in, uh, officials. In fact, I respect every man according to you know what he he brings to the table. But 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 I admire your honesty, because brother, in politics, it's not often uh, that one would pay such kind compliments to his opponent. I've often remarked that I like the atmosphere that exists in our House of Assembly, uh, the, the level of the debates, in my view, have improved uh, quite a bit, and I hope that that would continue. Before we go further, uh, speak to the country about the finances as they are. What monies do we have? in our sovereign wealth funds, in other accounts, et cetera, et cetera. We're coming up on a hurricane season. We hope and pray that we would not uh, be affected, that uh, your projections would be knocked uh, off rail, as the case might be. But just give us an idea of what is there in store. Well, as we said, we have almost three hundred million in, in, in cash on hand. Now, those cash, well, that cash is spread across various accounts. In some accounts, you're not supposed to touch. So, for instance, the sovereign wealth fund, we have about fifty million in cash, and we're hoping to add to that uh, some more this year. And we, the goal, the goal is to keep growing that for for a rainy day. Um, in terms of unrestricted cash, we have about, so I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but we have approximately about 111 million in unrestricted cash. We're, we're, as I said, we're budgeting 417 million in revenues this year, and we're spending, we're, we're budgeting to spend 424 million. So uh, if the 
if something happens, let's just say another COVID-19 and it knock revenues off, we have enough cash to be able to pay all our bills for at least three months. And I think uh, if that happened within three months, we would be able to work out our financing option where we can get debt. And when I say um, for three months, that's not the $300 million. That's the $111 million that we talked about, the unrestricted cash, because all of the rest of it, we've had it, we have it assigned to certain accounts where we wouldn't want to touch them. And so when we talk about free cash or unrestricted cash, that's the one that uh, we look at in terms of, 30, in terms of uh, three months, in terms of 90 days' worth of cash. And that 111 gives us about 90 days' worth of expenditure that we could spend money on. And so um, we're, I think we're doing well. So if something happens again, like another COVID and the economy shut down and we weren't taking in any revenue, we have more than enough cash to last for three months in terms of pay all our bills without having to touch any of the restricted cash. And, we are, and our economy is strong enough that we would be able to take out loans very quickly at, at good rates that we would be able to pay our way out, out, out of any uh, any issues that shocks to the economy. When was the last credit rating done? And um, do you anticipate that there would be an improvement in our credit rating uh, based on our fiscal performances? The last credit rating came out early this year, okay. around about January, and we're still at a triple B plus. And that's coming out of uh, the pandemic. And so... And, and then most countries during that time dropped a little bit. We, we maintain our rating. I think we're doing the best that we can in terms of our, the strength of our economy. The things that will make a difference in, in terms of the improvement of our rating has to do around our systems, our data collection, and our timely reporting of how the economy is doing well. So we are doing as best as we can right now in terms of the economy. But I think uh, we, 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 we're aiming to do better, certainly. Uh, and, and, and our current rating isn't bad. It, it's, it's, it's a very strong rating. But in order to get into a higher rating, we need to now to spend more money on our economics department and on our systems to be able to track how well the economy is going. So when we report on the economy, we can do it in real time. And right now, our data capturing of the health of the economy is a bit behind where it should be. Our debt to GDP must be the lowest in the region and among the lowest in the world. What is our debt at the moment? We have really no debt. Uh, we have $600,000 in national debt. I, I actually thought it had been paid completely off, but it's, uh, it's only 600000 So, So technically speaking, we have zero debt, and, uh, and so our GDP ratio is certainly the best in the world. I'm not saying that we're the only country in the world, but we, we, we have no debt. Great. It is important that the society understands that when you speak of a budget of 400 and odd million dollars in revenue, it is not all sitting in the bank at a given time, but will come in from various heads during the year. But it certainly is comforting to hear that there is about 300 million on hand. Do you care to expand on what I have just said? Yeah, I mean, the thing about it is that the country 
if you if you take the four hundred and seventeen million and, and, and divide it up by by twelve, you'll get the average the average amount that we are expecting to to make on a monthly basis. Now it's it's not going to come in like that. Uh, every month you're going to be getting thirty five million come in. Uh, some parts of the year you're going to get more revenue. You may get forty million dollars in revenue, and some you may get thirty twenty five million in revenue. So it doesn't come in evenly. Also, I know people say that, well, if you've got all of this money coming in, why can't you spend this? Why can't you fix this? And why can't you fix that? And it's not, it's, it doesn't work that way because we can't just go and spend all of the money up front because, the one, we are a fiscally conservative nation, and, two, we have a framework uh, document that we've agreed with the U.K. to make sure that we're fiscally conservative. So we don't find ourselves in a case where we've gone bankrupt. And so part of that, we have limits on what we can spend. As an example, we can't spend more than 40% on civil servant salaries and benefits, regardless of what we are doing. The, that, that amount is only based at 40% of, it, of our budget. And so as the thing that I said when I was campaigning, that when we were at 300 we can only spend 120 million on civil servants and their and their benefits. If we're at uh, 400 million, which we are now, we could do we could spend 160 million. And then if we had 500, we could spend 200 million. And so the goal is always for me as Minister of Finance is to keep growing the revenues so we could start to spend more on our country. But particularly in this case, the civil service. And so even though the cash is there, we can't just go and, and spend it all up. Because the fact is that if we get into another uh, global pandemic or a hurricane that shuts down our economy, we wouldn't have any revenues to spend. Um, the only analogy I can give to it is the, the water situation in Grand Turk, how it was previously, where you know that any time an equipment broke, Grand Turk went thirsty. And if there was a hurricane, Grand Turk went thirsty. And so what we were doing is they're trying to build capacity. So if there's any issue happen. Grantor can go a week, two weeks, a month uh, and have water without having the country having to be rationed. So imagine that water is your finances and that you don't want the finances to be so meager that anytime something happens, you're going bankrupt or you're having to rush out to banks to negotiate debt. You want to do it from a position of strength, and that's the reason why we've taken a position to be fiscally conservative, to ensure that we know that we have reserve, cash reserves, and that we have recurring revenue streams that can support our uh, expenditure. So anytime we get into problems, we would have enough time to negotiate our way out of it at a point of strength and to the best interest of the Turks, of the Turks and Caicos Islanders. Well, thank you. Uh, you mentioned water, and may I digress just a little bit to say that I notice the efforts to bring water to the reservoir up on the east there, east of McAdoo, um, south of the St. Thomas, is well underway. But you know what is, I wouldn't say alarming, everybody who is working are non-Turks and Caicos Islanders. And uh, that is why, here in Grand Turk, and I'm going to say this, I don't want any able-bodied man talking about they can't find work. Because not one 
it's my understanding, has gone out there and sought a job. At least some of you could hold a daggone sign that says slow down or, or, or come, as the case might be. But some of you are going to sit on the corner and then ask for $5, $10 here and there. Get off your backside and find work. Work is out there. In fact, I'm a, a, of the view that there's enough job in Turks and Caicos Islands for everybody. It may not be the type you want, but go out and do what you can to support yourself and your family until you can get what you wish. Okay. Uh, Honorable Minister of Finance, I had to put that little one in there. No, no, that, that's fine. I, I, I just wanted to add that it's our job, it's the Ministry of Finance job, and it's my job as Minister of Finance to ensure that the country is always in a healthy financial position. And, and we have to ensure that our recurring revenues, and what I mean by that is that, that the revenues that we can depend on coming in every year, because you don't want to make your spending to revenues that you can't guarantee will come again next year. Because what happens is that if the revenues collapse, then you now have to go cut costs and cut these things significantly. And so for me, as a Minister of Finance, I want to make sure that we have the country in a strong position where our recovering revenues, again, that's the revenues that we know are going to be coming in consistently year after year, is very strong and healthy, and that our expenditure, where we're spending it, matches that. And I know people want us to go out there and spend everything that we can. But can you imagine if we were spending... 500 million or 600 million on revenues of 400 million but then next year the revenues dropped to 300 million now we have to go and cut all of those programs and so as minister of finance my job is to ensure that what we budget we're confident that we can keep doing it every year and that we're confident that our expenditure matches that and and it allows us enough surplus so we can grow our national wealth fund which is the fund that we are putting together for future generations. Now, there may be some aspects of the budget that you want to highlight, some matters that you would want to clarify. But um, while you gather your thoughts, I'm not suggesting you're not prepared on the spot, but um, I'm just going to take a minute to give a little shout-out to a few persons. Then afterwards, I'm going to sit back and allow you the time, the latitude to address those matters that you so desire. And I want to say good morning to Mr. Franklin Lightburn down there in Providenciales. What a pleasure it was uh, meeting with him. Uh, here was a gentleman who, who wanted to see me for quite some time, and I had the opportunity to meet with him just over the, uh, the weekend. Good morning to my nephew, Javon, uh, to Tom Wells on, and Vivian McIntosh right there on Middle Caicos. I understand that you're hearing RTC well. Uh, well, let's hope that keeps up. Good morning to Henny and Gwenny over there in North Caicos, to Garner Jolly and his wife over there in uh, Providenciales. I don't know if Garner is in Provo or in North, uh, but anyway, you know, because he's a combiner man, North and Provo. Uh, good morning to all of you. Good morning to Lovey El Mazumbe. How are you, my brother, the combiner man? Good morning. Anyway, back to the Minister of Finance, who is my guest today. We have a number of ministers line up for future programs, and sometime pretty soon, just a matter of fitting them in, in slots, we'll have the acting governor. I'm supposed to have members from the court's office. And, uh, of course, the door is open. You've got to give me due notice, honorable leader of the opposition. We were supposed to have a date for some time ago. The door is open for your nominated member. 
because you see, I, I, I don't have any favorites when it comes to this show. It's for all concern. All right. Honorable Minister, go right yes. ahead. Um, the areas of concern for me uh, in the budget, and, and I want to use a football analogy. This is American football, and it's a game that, that I probably love the most. There, there's a saying that if a quarterback throws a, overthrows a wide receiver, it's the wide receiver's fault. And if a quarterback underthrows a wide receiver, it's the quarterback's fault. The meaning that you're not giving you're not giving the the wide receiver enough if you underthrow them. The goal is to keep them moving forward. And I'll then if you it. overthrow them, that means that the wide receiver isn't keeping up with the quarterback. And the reason why I said that is that the country is at a point now where if we weren't making enough money and departments were there saying, I can't get the money, then it would be a fault of basically just said the Minister of Finance. But we're at a point now where the country is making more money than we're spending fast enough. So our biggest issue when we end the financial year is that we're going underspent, not overspent. And it sounds really crazy because I know some departments say, oh, I want more of this and I want that. But in reality, when you end the, f the year, the financial year, most departments are underspent. Uh, things are going un uh, unfilled. The capital projects are going underspent. And to, to repeat what I said during the budget, last year we budgeted $55 million for capital projects. We delivered 18. And over the last 12 years, the government has delivered an average of $17 million in capital projects uh, per year. And I think the best year was around about 24 million, 24 million. So last year we budgeted 55, we delivered 18. This year we budgeted 60. And so the biggest area's concern is ensuring that we could deliver those capital projects. Because those are the things on paper that we feel that the country needs this financial year. And we think that will make the biggest difference to, to the country and to the people. But we have to deliver those things. And it's not specific to our government in terms of not being able to deliver. It's been to the history of the Turks and Caicos. And so we just have to get better, much, much, much better, in order to deliver on our capital programs. And all of us, the elected government, the senior management of government, our, all of the civil service, need to work together to find out what are the bottlenecks and see if we can improve the process while maintaining the, um, the compliance and checks and balances that requires for around any procurement program and any capital works program. Do you have any reason to feel more optimistic for spending this year? In the light that you said, on an average, you've been spending $17 million uh, as far as your capital projects are concerned. Uh, have you all done anything with the procurement measures that seem to slow down things? And uh, the, the, the not spending, is it because of lack of personnel, lack of resources to see these projects through? Let me be frank and say this. I mean, I, I think when we think of capital projects, everyone thinks of the procurement process. And then they blame the, they blame the procurement process, uh, and the procurement process is just one area, and 
while there's room for improvement there, I think there's room for improvement right right across. And I don't think the biggest bottleneck is just with the uh, with the procurement department. As a matter of fact, they've gotten better at it, and I don't think the major bottleneck is with them. I think that every time people think of capital projects, they only think of the procurement portion, but there are a number of other sections. And part of it has to do with the fact is that we don't have enough resources. We don't have enough project managers. And so we need to look right across the board, not just in the area of procurement, but look at area of how we conceive these projects, how we prepare the, all the ITT documents and the TR documents, uh, the procurement process, the contract negotiating process, and, uh, and delivery on them. And so we, I, I've seen in my short time in government where we, we fall down on the delivery portion, even after it's the, the project has been procured and you've sent like to the vendor. I've seen where the contracts have gotten held up, where it's taken uh, far longer to negotiate the contracts. And so we have to look across the process from top to bottom and take a holistic view, as we say, 365 uh, view, or 360 degree, sorry, 360 degree view of it, and look at how we can improve the process right across. Well, there are other uh, questions that I would want to ask with regard to these projects, but I think I'll leave that off until the relevant minister uh, will be here, hopefully sometime very, very soon. Um, I know he is ready, willing, and able. And so I'll leave that part till then. But there are other matters uh, pertaining to the budget that you may have wanted to address. And so let me uh, stop my intervention and allow you to flow. Yeah, Mr. Hall, the, the, again, the main thing for me is just the, the spending. There, there's no use budgeting if uh, the departments uh, can't or they're not spending the money that's being made available to them. What, so what we're going to do this time and... Unlike previously, I mean, we're at falls for it, and previous governments had falls for it, is that they would realize in quarter four. In quarter four, we means the last three months of the financial year. That's January, February, and March. They would realize that they've got a lot of money underspent, and then they start trying to use it very quickly. And the easiest thing to do is to buy land property. And you start to see a number of supplementary budgets happening in the fourth quarter in order to reprioritize the, the cash that you haven't spent. We're going to be more deliberate and we're going to be more focused this year. And so the goal is that every three months we're going to take a hard assessment at the projects and the expenditure. And if things aren't moving, we're going to have a supplementary to reprioritize those things and so we can get the best value for the people of the Turks and Caicos. And so we're not going to be reactive as, uh, as previous governments and previous financial years, even with our government. We're going to be more proactive. We're going to be more focused. We're going to be more deliberate. I, I said the same thing when I was Minister of Health, that in order to get the COVID numbers down, we had to be deliberate, we have to be measured, and we have to be focused. And we were able to, to achieve and get the numbers down we're going to bring that same type of focus to, uh, well, we've brought it to Ministry of Finance. And this year, we're going to take, uh, me and my team are going to be focusing quite a bit on expenditure and, and delivery of the capital projects and delivery for the people of the Turks and Caicos. And we're going to, every three months, we're going to take a reassessment of that and shift things around if, if we're not getting the, the, 
the outcomes that, that we, we want. And I think this year we will find that at the end of it, we would have achieved far more than we would have achieved in any other year. Great. Um, I have a text here. Let me see what the person is saying. It says, good morning, Mr. Hall. Will the Deputy Premier and Minister of Finance, Almost Saunders, please advise when will Granter get a gaming inspector? <laughs> the, uh, I've been asked that quite a bit. The uh, gaming is now under me, and, I, and I've been told that inspectors go out there and, uh, and check it. And there's particularly someone in Granter who wants uh, a position, and I've been looking into it with the the director of the gaming commission and i've been told that currently that there is no position available but i am looking into it for the person and uh, and i don't want them to think for one moment that we're not looking into that uh but we want to make sure like i said gaming is under me right now i have asked them to prepare a strategic plan and vision for the gaming sector uh five-year strategic vision and we're going to be looking at it again from top to bottom to see how we can grow responsible gaming in the country and if we need in the areas that we need more support, including more staff. And we will start to I will ensure that as Minister of Finance, as part of my department, that we give them the resources, including more manpower if it's needed to help ensure that they achieve their vision. Good. All right. Any before we move on, any other matter under the budget that you would wish to address? I think that covers it. But I but I will wait until as your callers come in and other questions come up, I can start to speak specific to it. I mean, we've just passed the budget about three weeks ago, and so there are no major issues that pop up. You know, as Minister of Finance, I would like to think it was a perfect budget. But like I said, it was a budget of compromises, and. If we had unlimited resources, we certainly would do a different budget, but we have certain constraints, but I'm happy with it. But I'm certain uh, these things are perfect, and, and, and during the year, things will start to pop up, and we would have to make adjustments, and that's what we're going to do through the regular supplementary budgets. I was thinking, though, that the fact that the budget has just recently passed that would further aggravate the situation in terms of getting some of the capital projects out in the fiscal year. Well, when you said aggravate, I know what you mean. And just for clarity, I'll say for the people, you mean the fact that because the budget was passed in May, we're two years into the the financial year. And so what we would normally have to two, do within months. 12 months, we now have to do in 10 months. Two months, yeah. Yes, and so we've lost, we've lost two months. And the, we just have to get bad at it. You know, and there's we. It's our fault that we didn't get the budget out for first of April, and even though it's been happening in the past, we now have ten months. It's something that we need to get bad at. Our goal is to have the budget passed next year, uh, in February the latest, and so we can start. Well, well, in the middle of March the latest, but we, our goal is to do it in February, and so we can start first of April off with with the new budget. But we just have to be better at. Would we uh, at delivery? You know, we it's our government, and we have to push all the buttons and do everything that we can to ensure that we can deliver the capital program within the next ten months. Oh, great. Um, of course, <clears throat> I was quite comp uh, paid you quite compliments uh, for your budget presentation. I thought it was quite good. 
Um, I did write a brief article uh, referring I mean, to some of the, the contributions. I couldn't do all at that time, and I thought yours was quite, quite good. Well, the thing before, Mr. Hall, not to cut you off, uh, what I was going to say is that, and I told someone, actually I told the AG uh, previously, about a week before that, that I was going to do a non-traditional budget speech, but I was going to deliver a budget speech. Uh, I came out of the private sector, and budget uh, presentations usually speak to how well the, the organization is doing. So you speak to revenues, you speak to costs, you speak to surpluses, and you talk about the things you, you want to accomplish. Uh, all of the budget speeches that I had read seemed to me more like campaign speeches, and I figured that in order to do the country justice, we, I would have had to do the non-traditional, but do what I think was needed to speak specifically to the numbers, do it in a way where people found it exciting and tuned in, but that I would be doing an injustice to the people if I didn't speak to the numbers. And, and by speaking to the numbers and putting them out there, it allowed everyone to scrutinize the budget and be able to give their opinions on it. And so the feedback that I've gotten, particularly from the press, that it was the most detailed budget presentation that they've seen but in the private sector that's a budget presentation but you know it, it is interesting and of course i am not going to take you to school in terms of what you should or shouldn't do um as you rightly said you came from the private sector slightly different approach to things um however in the political arena uh there are certain things that um individuals tend to expect and I suppose, because you are not, should I say, the typical politician, um, they tend to feel that you're not as colorful as you can be in your deliberates, uh, delib deliberations, in your delivery of speech and so on. Yeah, that, that, that is true. The, um, I've been there for two years, and, and I'm a bit of more of a serious um, I would say parliamentarian, if I could use that term, but I'm, I'm more of a serious representative. I, I'm maybe not as colorful. I'm probably not the traditional Caribbean politician, but the people are paying me to do their work. And, and while I try to be a bit witty and throw a little bit of fun in there, uh, I'm being paid to, to do work for the people, to deliver value for the people and give them value for money. And that's how I'm serious. And so when I go through it and I talked about it and I said how I, I wrote the, uh, my full budget speech and I went through everything and I went through all of the details, the, the people expect for me to be world class. They expect that when I, um, not just in the Turks and Caicos, but when I represent the Turks and Caicos internationally, that I will represent them at the same level of my contemporaries, my, my colleagues are. And so you, 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 using Mia Motley as an example, she seemed to be the gold standard for the Caribbean. But if I'm at a conference standing next to her, the Turks and Caicos expectation is that I'm not going to be any less to her, that I'm going to be on, on, on her level. And so, or, or even if I'm in Europe and I'm speaking on the same stage with the UK politicians and the, uh, the European politicians, that I would be neck and neck and neck with them. And so that's how I see my job. I, see, I take my job very seriously. And then the first and foremost, the thing for me is to, me, is to get into the details find where the problems are, fix the problems, and leave the Ministry of Finance and the Turks and Caicos Islands better than the way I met it. 
Well, I guess you need not worry because I know of uh, an individual, I'll get myself in trouble, but who years ago perhaps could have been described as being quite boring. Uh, but with time, like fine wine, it gets better. <laughs> and I'm hoping that. I'm, I'm hoping that that's the case. I, I know that I am nowhere near where the, the public would, would like for me to be. Uh, and I've always said that people want me to start my first day in Parliament, the day my dad ended his, his 40 years in Parliament. Uh, I, I believe that, and hopefully that I'll get better and, uh, at all time. It'll become more natural to me. Right now, I'm entering politics with a business mindset, with a mindset of finding the gaps and plugging the gaps. But over time, I'm sure I'll get become more natural and do both and find the balance between the business-like demeanor, but doing it in the manner that, have, that gets people excited. But, you know, what I've said, and, and, and trust me, I am in more discussions perhaps than most people, because many days after expression, there are groups who want me to have, as it were, another expression to dissect what was said on expressions. And so I'm always at groups under the tree here and there. And what I've often said, you know, as we sort of talk about and critique ministers and what have you, uh, they would wish to find that politician who is the full package, the complete. But that's not easy to find. It has to be teamwork, and so each one complement the other. And so if um, I go back to the old days, you know, and, and you've got to know your strength and your weaknesses like a cricket team. Um, for instance, it, the days when I was with your father and the late NJS Francis and so on, NJS used to say to me, particularly if you're on the campaign trail, now, Robert, we're going to Sol Key. You take charge. Because for whatever reason, he was not too welcome there. Some of the older folks in Sol Key perhaps could back me up, you know, and I would do my thing. Of course, I was pretty well received most places because when I was younger, I was more of a little firebrand, as it were, uh, mellow with time. But um, it's all about understanding the strengths and weaknesses in your team and each complementing the other. I know each one to outshine the other possibly because uh, in due course, the button of leadership must be passed on to someone else. No doubt about it. Do you still, still or are you still desirous of leading the PNP and the country in the not-too-distant future? And what do you think your chances are? <laughs> oh, come um, on. When you're on expressions, you get those straight-up ones, my brother. <laughs> the, uh... The... It's... it's, it's I mean, I, I should not have not expected this question. And, and I know we're getting into the period. The thing about this that I don't think the, uh... I certainly haven't heard the Premier say what he's doing publicly, even though we've had uh, private chats about it. And we're, we're a team. And I've always said that my goal, and if you use it back to your cricket analogy, the Premier and I are the open batsman. But he the, he's the one who's facing in the, the bowler first. So I, I, I'm, while I'm there with him, I'm on the other side. I'm batsman number two. And batting being the two opening batsmen means that I'm batting at the level where 
I could face the first bull, but someone is doing it right now. And I'm not here advocating to, to be facing the first bull, but I do know that if something happens, and, and I have to, or you know, there's something sometimes in cricket where you get one run and you're facing the first over. And so I'm, I'm ready and I'm prepared, but my decision is going to be based on the decision of what, what the current leader decides to do. I, I think to answer your question, do I think that I'm capable? Certainly I think I'm capable. I think my racket as Minister of Health and as Minister of Finance shows that I am capable. But I'm not here uh, to run against the Premier. And, and I'll make it very clear. It's not my goal to challenge the Premier. I, uh, I, it comes down to the decision what the Premier, what the premier makes. And I've said it to a few people that um, challenging the Premier is different from running for leader. It was, it was all open and we were all running for leadership. That's one thing. But if the Premier decides that he wants to run again, I don't want to have to be there challenging him. And so him and I are a team. He has to feel confident that as his deputy that he can go to sleep at nighttime and that I've got his back and that I'm not there running a campaign trying to bring him down. I have said that campaigning coming into this game, and I'm going to say it right now, um, and the way it sounds is that politics isn't important to me to to bring down our leader. I don't do coups. And uh, that's a while I'm prepared to lead if the opportunity presents itself. I'm not going to be there running a race behind my, my leader's back. Uh, I would rather step out of it uh, before I do that. Because I think when you start to do coups you, and you encourage it, the same thing could possibly happen to you. I'm a very disciplined and focused person, and right now the party has a leader, and I think things with where the party goes in terms of leadership will be determined by what, what he wants to do. I like that. What, with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. I really love that. You know, uh, when I had the uh, Honorable Akira Mizik on, because uh, previously, uh, when she was a minister, she was viewed as a contender. Uh, for leadership, but she said on the last show that she fully supports uh, Charles Washington Mizick as the leader of the party, and as a, if he decides to lead the party in the next election, she would not contest it against him. And so I heard that from her, and now I'm hearing it from you. So I wonder, really, we have all this rumor about division in the PNP and fighting over leadership and whatever. I wonder where all that's coming from, or is it just mischief-makers as election time comes closer, uh, I wonder. Well, I'm not sure where it comes from. I keep hearing my, my name. And I think part of the reason is because I'm the deputy, I'm the minister of finance. And I think my record has showed that I, I can deliver. Uh, I've delivered before getting into politics. I delivered as a minister of health. And I'm delivering as minister of finance, even though I don't want to toot my own horn. But, but after all, this is politics. And you, you have to point out your record. But as I've said, and I've said it again, I'm not waking up in the morning thinking about I want to be leader of the PNP party or leader of the country. We currently have a leader. But it's like being the quarterback, the backup quarterback for a team and in American football. You always have to be ready because you don't know what's going to happen. And then when you come and get put into the game, you're supposed to play at a high level, at the same level as the starting quarterback. I'm always keeping myself prepared to, to do that. 
But like I said, I am not here advocating to try and, and bring down our leader. I think he's earned the respect over his years in politics, and I think he deserves to have the, the, the opportunity to decide his future in politics without thinking that uh, his key members of his team, particularly his deputy, is out there behind his back trying to run a campaign to, to replace him. Thank you much. Now I'm going to my um, phone texts and uh, to uh, Mr. Uh, Professor Lee Ingham. I saw your text, but I will give you a call as you call me on a civil service matter, and I choose not to answer publicly. I'm not sure if you even wanted me to answer publicly, but like so many things, there's more than what meets the eye. And uh, Patterson Williams asks Honorable Minister, and he says, Good morning, Mr. Hall. The Honorable Minister stated in his opening statement that 40% of the government revenue can be spent on paying benefits. So what level of government's expenditure is civil service related? Is that expenditure inclusive of ministers of government? Um, well, it's actually 40% of the expenditure um, in terms of the cost of uh, for ministers. That comes, out, that comes out of the House of Assembly. I don't think it, uh, it includes that. I would have to check to be exact. But it's, that's a, such a small number compared to the overall budget, I don't think it would even make a difference. You know, people think that uh, politicians make a quite a bit of money, but actually, in the whole scheme of the budget, it doesn't make up a significant portion of the budget. Now, let me put it in perspective. I'm not saying that we're not paid well. The point I'm making is that when you add the number together, it's really only 15 of us who are elected, and then you add the other four appointed members and you put in the whole House of Assembly, it doesn't add up to a huge number when it compares to our overall budget. Interesting. I don't know. I wonder, have you been following up the uproar in Jamaica with demonstrations going on even now over proposed salary increases for the Prime Minister and other politicians? Um, uh, salary increases that would have made them the, the highest really in the Caribbean region. Um, uh, the premier prime minister getting over 200 not percent um of course he has backtracked uh because of all the uproar he has decided to instruct cabinet secretary uh, not to pay him the increase but to uh pay him at the same salary rate they haven't totally ruled it back uh and i uh, see where the leader of the opposition say he will use 80 percent of his for uh um, give away to worthy causes. I mean, that's almost hypocritical. Either you support it or you don't support it. Initially, the opposition there did support it. Now they're backtracking, and it's a confusing situation. And I have a feeling Andrew, our Prime Minister, Andrew Holness, may very well pay dearly for that in the next election, which is not too far away. Have you been following that? I saw the post where they, uh, someone was criticizing the, the, uh, their plan, the Jamaican government plan to increase their salaries. I certainly don't have no opinion on it. I try not to um, weigh in on the, con on the countries, what they're doing and their governments are doing. Uh, it's not my job. It's actually, in camaraderie, my job is to support governments uh, as much as I can. But I don't, I don't get into other countries' politics. 
I don't know all of the reasons for why they made that that decision. And I think it's best without knowing that, but in the spirit of camaraderie, uh, not to come in and, and weigh in on it. Well, I guess Jamaicans would say, "Puss no business in a dog fight." <laughs> anyway, um, good morning to you, Harry. Uh, it says, good morning, sir. I don't know if it is because of the westerly wind down here, that is on North Caicos, but the reception is so clear, I had to look to see if you and your guests are not in my front room. Hats off to the Honorable EJ for a good job in explaining the budget. Even if I don't call in, I plan my mornings to be uninterrupted during expressions. You hear that again, R.I.G.? Here is another one. Boy, I tell you. One fellow tell me that people ain't listening to expressions no more. <laughs> I got news for him. The people speaking out themselves. Uninterrupted, you hear? And that's what I'm hearing all around the places, the place. And so, boy, I tell you, I was thinking on leaving in November. I wonder if I should leave or don't leave. Because, boy, anyway, hey. <laughs> All right, we're going to open the phone lines uh, momentarily. If you have a call, remember now the number to call is 1-900-2222-007. Or you may text me, 244-7332. Let me read this other text. It says, good morning, Mr. Hall and EJ. Can you put pressure on these banking institutions, especially First Caribbean, to get their ATMs around Provo up running, add Rantec to that. Is there no working ATMs on Provo unless you go to the branch? The um, I'll, I'll say it very clearly. I'm disappointed in the, the banking services that the retail banks uh, have delivered, particularly to the family islands. And I've raised it with them, and I'm certain that they know my position. And as the Minister of Finance, and as much pressure I can put on them, I'm, I'm going to put it on them. I, I know that, and it may be not a policy, but a few times I've heard people saying that 9 p.m. is an example. The machines are shut down across the country. And it may be for security reasons. I don't know. Nothing has come across my desk of it, why they're doing it, if it's something that's coordinated. But to me, it doesn't make sense. You have South Caicos with one ATM machine in the on the island. If it goes down, people are scrambling around. I know in Grand Turk, as the situation is a little bit bad, but it's nowhere where we want it to be. I've made it clear to the banks. I'm saying it that on radio that I've made it clear to the banks so they can understand that I've taken this very seriously. And we're going to keep pushing them. My expectations that if you're not going to have a branch, then your electronic banking services has to be best in class. It has to be to the point where people uh, don't have to worry and have any concerns, where it's instant and it's always working. Or you have a branch that people can walk in. But if you say that you want to be in the Turks and Caicos and you're not going to have branches in communities, then your service needs to be to the point where it feels as if the people are getting face-to-face service. Um, I've said it. I'm saying it on this show, and I'm articulating it in a way because I want it to get back to the banks. I know that some of them have reached out to me about locations uh, in Grand Turk that they want to uh, have some better service. I know they've looked at South Caicos of how they can improve service. But I would be disappointed if we left government 
and the banking services isn't better than it is right now. And I've put them on notice. I'm putting them on notice again through this show that the service that, we, that they're offering right now, we think it's below where it needs to be, and we're pushing them very hard to improve their service to the public. Oh, thank you much. I'm going to read um, a comment that came in days ago or some time ago, but may be relevant, uh, not necessarily to this segment, but um, management could certainly listen in and says, good morning, sir. Why the world there is no expression, even if it's a holiday, anywhere else the show must go on. And the fact that, and this was written when it was Commonwealth holiday, and the fact that Commonwealth holiday, you could have a segment educating people on that holiday. As for me being in the tourism industry, some guests asked me this morning what the meaning of the holiday. I was dumbstruck. I said, man, I'm definitely not the one to ask. Oh, my. Pity you didn't call me. People learn new things about Turks from every expressions. Hey, thanks much again for that uh, level of confidence expressed. And um, I'm always game. And people call me day and night. And as far as I can... I always try to respond. And this other text says, good morning, uh, sorry, hey, Mr. Hall, you asked a very good question in regards to gaming inspector. No inspector is present in Grand Turk, but another burning issue is gaming department is the only department that has never had any promotion. No one has ever been promoted. Pursing serving for almost 20 years and are in the same position. No senior inspector. The government needs to do something. I can hardly commend. That's above my pay grade, Honorable Minister. Yeah, as I said to you, I mean, the gaming was moved to the Ministry of Finance in January. And one of the first things I've asked them to do, and I'm looking, asking them to do it now, is to prepare their strategic plan. And I don't mean something that takes a full year to be done. I'm, I'm expecting that it will get done in about three months. And with that, that will look at the, the gaming commission, top to bottom, including the HR portion and the manpower, and see how we can uh, improve this, the, the service. Like I said, we want to grow gaming, responsible gaming in the country, but we also want to make sure that we do well by the people who work in gaming and the HR portion of it. And that will be looked at as part of that strategic plan. And I can't guarantee anything this financial year because we haven't made budgetary provisions for it, but certainly coming out of the strategic plan, which I would, once it's been delivered, I, we would discuss with the board and discuss with the senior management and with cabinet about how we could strengthen it and if there's a need for any promotions. And, and I, don't want, I wouldn't want to be in a position for years and years without getting a chance for upward mobility. We will see how we can support the staff uh, at the Gaming Commission. Uh, we had another text while waiting on the calls. Uh, again, callers, remember the number to call is one nine hundred twenty two twenty two zero zero seven. While I love receiving the text, I sure love even maybe better to hear your voices, you know. So uh, please feel free to call in. And this person texts me and says, Good morning. I cannot compete uh, on Royal Robinson. Like I said, he's a regular caller and one who doesn't mind his name being mentioned. I cannot compete with the person that listens uninterruptedly, but I certainly take as much time as I can to listen in and call in from time to time. Honorable Saunders is surely defending his wicket. 
Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Robinson. And you do know I very much appreciate your calls. We have the first call for the morning. Good morning, caller. Make my day. Well, good morning, Mr. Hall. Wow. I called your name early on. <laughs> uh, good morning to the Honorable Mr. Sanders. Uh, I want to say the whole conversation has been enlightening, informative, and well, well appreciated for the entire community of the Texas and Figures. And uh, the, the last one that just happened to is just from a financial standpoint, almost harmless. And you, you, sound, you sound like a real man. You speak with your mouth open when you're addressing the issues that the entire, not only here in Grand Prix, but most, mostly here in Grand Prix, and like you said, the takers, the financial burdens that we have to go, go through every day with the financial banks of Honorable Sanders. And uh, I, I can say that, you know, Honorable Sanders, that I live in the Bahamas for 28 years. And one thing about the Bahamas is all Honorable Sanders. If you come to the Bahamas to do business and uh, you have a branch that is in the capital, the Providence, and you take measures and close that branch and go into the second city of that country, Honorable Sanders, your, your, your life will be eliminated immediately. You, 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 you close the branch down and grant it. The capital, there's all, over 4,000 people living. And you have been getting valuable service for years and years and years. And that's the thing you can give to the people of the country. Amazonas, I command you. And uh, you, for this conversation that you had this morning, very, very informative, enlightening, well do possess for the people that took St. Kegas. And have a great day. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Kennedy. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this, Mr. Hall. Let me thank for the, the caller. When I was in the private sector, there would be times you would have downturns in the, in the economy. And sometimes you have downturns globally and you're doing well locally. But these global companies would make blanket decisions. So they'd say things like, we want to cut costs right across the, the globe or across all our operations by 15%. And then you had come to a country like the Turks and Caicos that seem to be doing well, and they're still asking you to cut costs. And I have said to, to my managers and my board, even I was specifically when I was with Digicel, that I would say, hold up. <laughs> I'm not going to, to let people go, or I'm not going to close the store in North Caicos as an example. Tell me what it is that you really want. Because the, the thing about it, what you really want is that you want to protect the profit line, and that time, the, the EBITDA line, or you want more revenue. But let me see how I can get you that without letting people go. And the, the reason why is that as a manager, my job was also to advise the board on the best decisions. It's not just to accept instructions from them. Because as the person on the ground... I know best at what's happening in the community versus someone who is off, in this case, maybe Jamaica, but in the case of Digicel in Jamaica. And I find that managers here 
uh, don't do that when they're doing it with, uh, with global companies. And, and I don't want to get any of the managers offended at the bank, but, but I don't think they push back and to the extent that they can. And they may say, well, no, that's not true. But I, I believe that in most cases, you're having people making decisions from their regional headquarters or from Toronto, because we have three Canadian banks, and the local management on the grounds not pushing back. But that's their job. Their job is to say, this is how things are happening on the ground. This is going to be the best for our business. This is going to be best for market share. And we recommend against it. But I find that most managers don't want to do that. They will just take the instructions that are coming down from on high and try to carry them out as best as they can. But you're not robots. You're thinking human beings. And you're supposed to provide the best advice to, to the board so they could make the best advice. But in addition to that... My job as Minister of Finance is not to be friends with the banks. It's to ensure that they're providing the best service to the Turks and Caicos Islands. And if their local management doesn't want to push back on their headquarters, then we're going to insist that they do, and we're going to agitate that they do, and we're going to ensure that we, we turn the, the, the screws to ensure that they do it. Well, what I would like you to do... <laughs> immediately after this show, particularly with Bank of Nova Scotia, is to tell them that they need a man or woman on the ground here in Grand Turk to answer queries and deal with people. Some of the people wanting to make deposits or get new cards and all that sorts of stuff. New card, they got to pay a fair to go to Providence. Is that nonsense? No one. I, I, I heard that, and, just, I think, and I think it's nonsense. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I've raised and I've raised it, and they're one of the banks who said to me that they're looking at, at getting some, um, getting some, temporary, if if, if if temporary. But I mean, they're they're looking at getting space again in, in Grand Turk, uh, and I don't want to say temporary in terms of it being that they're going to close it down. But I mean that it may not be open five days a week, eight, eight hours a day, but they're looking at getting space and Grand Turk to improve their service. But I don't think that people in Grand Turk or South Caicos and North Caicos should be having to get on a plane and fly and then stand in line and then put up with customer service telling them that they're not going to give them any quick response. You know, that it's moving, the service is moving the way it's moving and you just have to stand in line. And I've heard of cases where persons have had to come down, they're standing in line, their flight is, is, uh, is coming up, and they're asking for the customer service to give them uh, to at least priority service, for lack of a better term. And the customer service is basically saying, you just have to stand in line. I find all of that unacceptable. I've erased it with the, the managers of the banks. And like I said... If they don't improve the service voluntarily, it's not beyond us and certainly not beyond me to turn the screws and make it expensive for them not to offer great service to, to the people of the Turks and Caicos. Boy, sound like the fellas down the road are saying, now that's man talking. Well, <laughs> talk is one. Really, I want to see the action and the results. I mean, I'm not doubting you. Get me right, Okay. But I know those institutions can be pretty, pretty stubborn. Of course, I've been beating this drum with these banks. Uh, my listeners could always confirm that. 
uh, but you know they may see me as a lightweight. Um, I complain all the time about the skeletal staff here at uh, First Caribbean and Grand Turk. I've seen where they brought back the former manager uh, from time to time to assist. And whatever needs to be done, they must give the people of Grand Turk a better service. They definitely deserve more. They, 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 the same green dollar we use here, or they use down the road, we use it here. Uh, we, we might not have as much in circulation, but we are dogging very important to them likewise. So, Minister, all I can tell you, do your best. Because the, you know, the folks I'll say this, it. Mr. Hall, that uh, when I became Minister of Health and we had to put in the measures, the vaccination measures and the curfew measures, the the sector, the tourism sector, didn't necessarily come along willingly. When we came out of the room, we might have had agreement, but that agreement didn't just happen because everyone just got up in the room and said, yes, this is what we want. It meant basically, in some cases, pushing people up against the wall and insisting that this is what we needed. And, and then they, we wanted them to comply. And, and I see this as the same way. There are times you're going to get into a room you're going to have big companies that have control over your economy that wants to do what they want to do. But we are the government of the Turks and Caicos Islands, and our job is to make sure that the Turks and Caicos is run in a manner that's the best for Turks and Caicos Islanders, and the residents of the Turks and Caicos, and the country as a whole. And that's why you know, I, I am unapologetic. And I can say it on a radio show that if the in this case the retail banks don't improve their service they will find themselves in a position where it becomes very expensive for them not to offer the, the best service possible to the community of the trucks and gigs islands humorously watch out for that phrase push up against the wall remind me of donald trump but anyway <laughs> if you're going to push these banks up against the wall then sir just push them let me get to my tax you don't have to respond to that one that's just my little wickedness mm -hmm. there uh, for the Honorable Minister, before you were a candidate on the show with Drexel and Seymour, with Drexel Seymour, you said that Grand Turk was in bad shape and something needed was needed for Grand Turk. Are you satisfied with the infrastructure and physical condition of Grand Turk? When will something change for Grand Turk? Uh, my opinion hasn't changed uh, on it. I think we, I think we can do more for Grand Turk. I think we should do more for Grand Turk. And the, uh, I, it's not as easy as uh, I, I wouldn't even say thought. I didn't think it was actually going to be easy. But, I mean, two years in, I think we, we, could, we should have done more, and I think we should do more. And I think there is a focus on Grand Turk. I would never come there and say, oh, my goodness, we've done the greatest for Grand Turk. We need to, we need to do more for Grand Turk. And, we need, and Grand Turk needs focus, attention, and there's a lot of infrastructure that Grand Turk is going to do. If we... And the next term, and this is all Granica has, I, I would personally be disappointed. And, and so when we're in the room, the, the representative for Granica in the cabinet knows that I'm always speaking about Granica and what we're doing for Granica. I feel confident that we won't end our government term without putting in and improving the infrastructure in Granica. But for the capital, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. We've been in for two years. And so we have no excuse, and we will have no excuse at the end of our term. And we need to give Grand Turk a lot more focus and deliver for Grand Turk. We, we had a caller on. I guess we've lost them by now. Or we can call back, one nine hundred twenty two twenty two zero zero seven. 
Uh, the Premier had talked about um, launching initiative on the government's part uh, for a hotel in Grand Turk, and I think they had secured some architect to come up with concepts, etc. After this caller, perhaps you may want to brief us on that if you're in a position to do so. Uh, caller, go right ahead. This is Expressions. This is all value reading and I'll put a more question to the Honorable Minister. I, I put it to you, but you didn't have any comment on it. But here's, here's my point, Honorable Hall and our Honorable Founders. These historical buildings of our country, Honorable Founders, we as fixed, not, not just this administration, past administrations come and goes. Let's, 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 let's talk about the constabulary. Not a history. I remember my first passport. I went there and get it from Mr. Julius Baker. I don't know. I don't know if you're familiar with who, who is Mr. Julius Julius Baker, but he was he, he was he, he was the immigration officer in those days, and I, he he presented to me my first passport in the Turks and Caicos Islands. Okay, and uh, not only the constabulary has a lot of history. It's gone. That, that, that thing was gone. I mean, I don't know if we have the finance to do these things, but it should be done one by one, slowly. We can't let, let things, historical buildings, go to rain like that. Whether it's in Providence, Ellis, or Grand Take, South Cake, those, those things cause a lot of history to us as a country and, a people, and people. So we should always focus on those things, honorable standards, and our. Uh, do the best you can to keep the history going. Good morning to you. Well, thank you. I did not respond, and I'm not sure the Honorable Minister respond, uh, because a number of the historical sites uh, may very well be addressed through this infrastructure fund that um, has much been talked about, but for years have not really been spent. I guess he may not want to rain on the relevant minister's parade. They continue to redistribute it out into the community. And I want to know if something could be done about that. Thank you very much for that call, Honorable Minister. Well, Mr. Hall, let me apologize that um, we, we went offline for things, so I didn't hear the this question or the statement. I only just heard the last second. Of, so, um, or If you don't mind, I'll paraphrase. Uh, there are two... Um, questions or comments that were made. One, uh, Mr. Kennedy here in Grand Turk spoke about some of the historic buildings like the police station, I had the, uh, uh, the post office and so on. And I, you know, in need of rehabilitation uh, rather than being destroyed. Um, and I wondered whether you wanted to comment or you rather to leave that to the Minister for, Minister for Infrastructure uh, when he comes on. And then the second caller talked about the amount of ragged uh, U.S. dollars that are in circulation, some dirty, torn, written up, and whatever. But even when taken to the banks, they're still recirculated. Um, they're still, you know, um, sent out there. Those were the two concerns raised. Well, uh, one, I'll say that um, we have to look at our historical um, buildings and our culture overall. And we are, are doing things that um, 
in some ways it falls under the uh, the office of the premier when it comes in terms of the the, the fund, the the, account, the infrastructure fund, and. And while you said the Ministry of PPID in terms of government infrastructure overall. So there is a focus by our government to ensure that we preserve our heritage. It's very high on, on our government's list, and it's certainly high on the Premier's uh, focus, is ensuring that we, uh, we identify our historical sites and we preserve them. I know that he's got some ideas of how he wants to do for Grand Turk in terms of preserving the, the historical buildings. And so I wouldn't want to take away from his. Um, uh, by, when he's back on your show, I'd like for him to speak to it. Right? So I wouldn't want to take away from his thunder. Um, and also, the minister of PPID, as you said, rightfully said, would be looking at in terms of the government infrastructure overall. But I know that there's a deliberate focus on our part to ensure that we preserve our heritage, including our historical buildings and sites. I'm going to say something before, again, before I attach, before I attempt to answer the second part of the question, is that we, getting back to Grand Turk, for what I've seen, and there's lots of interest in Grand Turk, we've done a lot of work in trying to generate interest in Grand Turk, and I'm confident that over the next, like, three to five years, that Grand Turk would have considerably more uh, infrastructure, as well as tourism accommodation, than it has today. And so a lot of the work that we've done for Granik has been more getting to the point where we could start to bring in the investment. So as Minister of Finance, I've, I've seen it. I know there's a lot of work in the Ministry of the, uh, the Office of the Premier and, and Minister PAPID also. So we're all looking at Grantor. And so I just want Granik people to know that we, we, it's not that we're not looking at it, but I do think that when we end our government term, we want to see more infrastructure in Grand Turk. And like I said, I would be disappointed if we haven't achieved that. And so we've been looking at it. There are things in the pipeline that I think that will do well. And I think in the next three to five years, you will see a completely different Grand Turk. In terms of the, the dollar bills being in circulation, I will speak with the banks about it. They should be um, changing that cash over and, and, and getting rid of the old cash and bringing in new money. I don't know the full process around it, but I think there's methods in which you can take the physical uh, paper money out of circulation and have it replaced with new cash without having to provide, you know, without, without it affecting your bottom line. And, and so, but I'll speak with them about it to see why there's a lot of old money and dirty money still in circulation. All right. Thanks so much, Honorable Minister and listeners. I'm going to take a little break right now and uh, I'm going to ask all of you to sit back. Honorable Minister, perhaps you could sip a little bit of coffee or tea, or maybe you would want some water, whichever. Uh, and to my listeners, relax. You might not have heard much about him recently, but although dead, he's still alive with his music. Here is Michael Jackson, You Are Not Alone. Yes, that's a very lovely song, and I think quite suitable whether it's in a family or just friends, it's nice to know you're not alone, or even if it's uh, with lovers, indeed. And, of course, that could be taken in the political realm. Uh, Washi, you got EJ there with you. You're not alone. Eddie, you have your nominated member there with you. You are not alone. <laughs> 
It is nice to know there is Michael Jackson reminding us you're not alone. Of course, we hope we are not alone. The government is with us. Can you assure us of that, EJ? <laughs> I'm certain that they are. We, 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 every day, we look and work hard for the government. And I'm happy that you said that. There's something that I want to touch on at the end of the show. Because I don't want to take the show into another view. But I know that all of my colleagues are focusing very hard on ensuring that we deliver for the people of the Turks and Caicos Islands. It's a, it's a lot harder than people think. And I think the individual wants what they want. But we, as policymakers, it's very difficult for us to do things at the individual level. We have to create policies uh, uh, that affect everybody, and that that's non-discriminatory. And if it is, that it's discriminatory, positively discriminated in favor of Turks and Caicos Islanders. But we can't set policies to, to favor any individual person. And I think a lot of times you have people come and say, well, I want you to do this. And you're like, that doesn't fit the policy, and, and they're not happy. But we work very hard for the Turks and Caicos, and I'm certain, and I think I said it during the budget speech, that the Turks and Caicos is in a much stronger place now and under our government it has been in the history of the Turks and Caicos Islands. But where we're having issues is, is ensuring that the success of the country trickles down to, to Turks and Caicos Islanders. It's not very easy being able to fix that. That keeps us up at nighttime to ensure that the wealth of the country gets into the hands of Turks and Caicos Islanders. And we, we intend on fixing that. You know, they, right now, I am right in the middle of, of the medium-term development strategy that talks to how we're going to develop the country over the next three years. It's a 100-plus page document that I'm, I have to update. And... It's, been, it's, it's something that's probably going to take me another month. It's been such a big document that it took the... It was started to be written after the interim government, and it didn't get completed until 2017. And it only... It's a three-year plan, and it expired in 2020, and it wasn't updated because, like I said, it's very difficult to do it. But I'm right in the middle of it. I'm intent on getting it done by the end of this month so we can make things easier for us and as in future governments. To, to be able to put in the policies that benefit Turks and Caicos Islanders. And it's very difficult, but I know that every member of our team, the front bench and the back bench, that's what they're concerned about, making lives better for people. We want people to live their best lives, and that's what keeps up, us up every day. You know, well, of course, if I wanted to, I could just sit back and let people say whatever they wish, but I'm always dismissing some of the nonsense I see on Facebook about government, and as any government for that matter, are only concerned about the Grace Bay boys. You know, the, the, the Grace Bay boys have been like a, a whipping horse these days. And uh, uh, let me say this. Provo would not have been Provo without Butterfield and, of course, the Grace Bay boys. Give credit where credit due. All right? I am not suggesting that government has to bow to them on everything, but they are an important factor in our development. And I, I just hate that Mr. nonsense Hall, constantly. I, I, I would say this. It is, I'm going to start off by saying I'm the Minister of Finance. I'm certainly not the, the, the Premier. So what I'm saying is that there are people who are above me. I, don't, I know getting into politics, everyone talked about the basic boys. I can, say for, I can say for certainty. Uh, Honorable Minister, could you, uh, you're young, much younger than me, so hold your thought. There's a call on the line. Caller, go right ahead. 
Ms. Hall, good morning. I, I want to say something to you, on, to you and the Honorable Mr. Tracy Giggs Islanders. Ms. Hall, you will take a Giggs Islanders place, Ms. Hall. And if we, if we could just eliminate the politics, Ms. Hall, that divides us from making practical decisions that would be beneficial to us as states and Giggs Islanders, Ms. Hall. We will be so much better off. Mr. Hall, it has nothing to do with who you vote for when you go to the poll. You know what I have to do, Mr. Hall? Your country and your people. And anytime you make a decision, Mr. Hall, on those farmers, that could be beneficial to Turks and Kings Island collectively. When you're gone, when you're gone, when you, when, when you do those things that we are productive and beneficial for your people. But when they go to the poll, they go for the one word for anyhow. But you know what they're going to remember? The things that they do that enhance their lives. That's the things the people are going to remember. Well said, sir. And I, and I have not to do an opinion on the things. we got to come together with one unity and one of to recognize our grand... Um, on... Going in and out. As I'm hearing okay, you again. I, I think I'm back now. Yes, go right um, ahead. I, I check what the caller said, and, and I agree. Um, and now that you can hear me again, the connective is going in and out, and I want to assure them <coughs> that through the Ministry of Home Affairs and the Telecommunications Commission, we are knee-deep now and starting to get the, the initial work done to build a fiber optic cable from Providencialis to, to Grand Turk, touching all of the islands in between. And so we expect within 18 months this problem to be, to be resolved, that Grand Turk will have the quality of bandwidth, with television service, cellular service, and data services. That's what we have in Providencialis. That work has already been started, and has been started by the Minister of Home Affairs, Honorable Morris, and we've already at the contract stage where we're getting the consultancy work done to get the, um, the five optic cable to go from Provo to north to middle to south and on to, to Grand Turk and Salkey. So we expect that that will be improved within, within 18 months. But getting back to the point of what I was saying before is that uh, campaigning-wise, and unless something happens that I don't know about, but I'm confident that our party didn't get any financial support from anyone in Grace Bay. We weren't, we weren't seeking it, so it wasn't that we went to them and they turned us down. It was a deliberate, and I've spoke about it, that we would not be seeking um, any campaign support from the so-called Grace Bay boys. Since I've been in government and I've been uh, minister, I have met with them a number of times as Minister of Health, and the only things that they've ever asked for, to be honest, was things around like the vaccination policy and, and curfew. And I have had lunch maybe twice with, with people who would be part of the Grace Bay Boys, they'd say. And the only thing they've talked about was the projects that they were working on. And they never asked for anything. And so anyway, when I hear people saying, oh, the Grace Bay Boys, boys are telling them to do this and they're telling them, I, I certainly have not seen it. And to be honest, they, I have not, and I don't think the party has taken any campaign funding from them. And when I was Minister of Health, the only thing they've ever asked for is they wanted us to review the 
vaccination policy about people being able to come into the country being, uh, being vaccinated, and they wanted to know when we were going to remove that and then around curfew. So I don't know what their relationship was like with uh, previous governments, but certainly with our government and me and Minister of Finance, we have a working relationship with them, and they only get and they only ask for what the policy says that they're allowed to get. Well, I'll tell you what, that's very interesting to hear because uh, I'm aware that in the last elections, both parties spent in excess of $300,000 on their campaigns. And that sounds doggone good if those funds were raised through frying chicken and selling stuff or, and um, the, 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 the local people uh, supporters contributing. Because, you know, there is that belief that um, the Grace Bay Boys contribute significantly. And I, I can remember whenever I get the leader of the opposition on to ask the same question. Now, mind you, of course, if I want to, you know, I can always go to the Integrity Commission and, and double-check. Not that I'm doubting you, sir, but I'm only saying. No, but I'm being, I'm being honest. I mean, the, the thing about it is that you remember, 300,000 raise is done significantly during the, um, the early 2000s when people were raising millions of dollars uh, between, between both parties. I won't, go so, to, I won't go to that era today. No, 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 I'm saying, I'm saying, <laughs> so, so, so we're done, we're done. So, uh, uh, hello? Yes. And so, we're, I mean, we're, we're back. But I wanted to say and make it clear. I've had fights with the with the hotel sector, but it was only around our position on, on the vaccination policy. Uh, but I said to you, and I'd be frank, the only conversations they've ever had with me was either we're going to be doing another $100 million investment or we're going to add another 50 rooms. And we just wanted to know what the government's position is on that. They didn't ask for anything outside of what the policy says they're allowed to get. And and I don't, and I can say this with certainty, I do not know of our party getting any donations from them. And I certainly, personally, have not received, and I have taken a deliberate policy. I've told them this when I was campaigning. I will not be seeking any, any, uh, campaign donations from them because I want, when we have to negotiate, no one is uh, having any expectations because they support a Dominican by charter today. Uh, looked like you went in and out and so I, I miss I miss most of what you said um, and I apologize about that. Well, mm not your fault this time <laughs> anyway but I, I don't know if you'd ask me a question I uh, no, I, I, uh, let me read this comment and hopefully it's not uh, interrupted there are two comments and the person said um, one was from a previous show but like I said it's relevant even now the, the budget debate was one for the records given that this is the largest budget ever it will be judged or measured by what benefits the people particularly the Turks Islanders will receive we have a year to see then she goes on to say, as it relates to the banks, especially Bank of Nova Scotia, which is an international bank, they would not do what in other countries what they do here in the TCI. I guess it's, it's like it's commonly said only in TCI. The Honorable Minister need to be a thorn in the bank's side until they do better and our people see the benefits from it. I agree, and I intend to be a thorn in their side. But thank you for the feedback and for the advice to, to the person texting. I, I totally agreed with that. Yes, it's most unfortunate we have this kind of interruption, and I certainly would want to see the day when it smooth, um, moves smoothly. And when I sit down with my guests, like I said, I want to see them face-to-face, -face, 
And when that is not possible, I want to hear, and the public deserves that, to hear, um, you know, without interruption. Like I was saying to R.I.G. before I came on the show, even as a matter that I have to be hidden around the corner, that's one thing, but the world should see the face of our leaders. And, and, and hence, we must, must get this thing, you know, get the show on the road. All right. Uh, we will fix that. I, I'm, I'm confident that the people of the, um, of the family islands, in Grand Turk, South Caicos, and Northern Middle, they will be very proud when they see the cable laying ship out there and, and their harbors bringing the cable. And I think the, the way it's done, oh, it's going to be done, uh, Grand Turk people will be able to sit on front, stand on front street, uh, or let's sit on the uh, front street seawall and watch the cable ship coming in. And I, and I believe it'll take a few days, maybe a few weeks even, to bring the cable across the, the Columbus Passage. So you'll see the cable ship off of Grand Truck out there for, for a while and watch them bring the cable in. And I think it's going to, people are going to look back and see that our government, led by the uh, Honorable Morris, in this case, uh, when I said leading, I mean like leading the project, uh, that our government took Grantrick into in the Caicos Islands into the 21st century, which, which uh, with a much, much needed uh, capital project. Zero zero seven. We just have five minutes to go. It's been nice to pack two calls, two or three calls in that space of time. Uh, of course, I am not necessarily out of questions or comments. Uh, they could always be coming, but I rather uh, defer to you, the public. Uh, uh, or if you wish to text me, you can also do so at 244 uh, Yes, you're back. Before you do so, we have one call uh, on yeah. right now. Caller, please make it brief. Go right ahead. Hey, I'm going to make it brief. Mine's very brief. Um, I am talking about the cable venture, which sounds like a good thing, but I wonder, wonder if the cable come or if the um, providers are going to be paying for that or... Is the cable going to be owned by the government, and are we going to be renting the space to the providers? Because currently, both providers are, are extremely expensive with the service that they offer here. All right, so I want to know if this cable that we are going to provide for them to use, is it going to be subsidized by them, or is it going to be a joint venture, or are they going to be paying for the cable? That's my question. Before you answer, Skipper, it sounds to me like you hardly miss the show yourself. Well, to answer the question quickly, the, the cable is intended for the cable to be owned by government. And then anyone who wants capacity on it will be paid for capacity on a commercial basis. But it's, um, the intention is to have it as an asset of the government. I'm not sure yet exactly which department it will, be, will manage the asset. I have an idea, and I think it will be done. But the, the goal is that it will be owned by the government and any carrier or company, large company, well, but, but pay for uh, access to it and buy capacity over it. Uh, the second question uh, that um, Professor Ling asks about uh, what constitutional changes are being recommended? Well, the constitution portion falls under the office of the, the Premier. I and mean, I know he's doing a lot of work on it. And he was in the UK a few weeks. Yeah, yes, okay, we are back. I wanted to say is that the, it falls under the office of the premier, and the premier, and I'll leave it to the premier to speak to the constitution and the constitutional changes that have been pushed, and the feedback that he's getting from.
and, oh. uh, and the feedback that he's getting. Great. And maybe the final question for the day. Uh, someone is asking if we ought to be concerned here in Turks and Caicos about inflation. Um, as you know, well, there's a lot being said about inflation in the United States. And um, when they cough, as it is said, we have a, we have a cold. <laughs> So, Hall, we are concerned about inflation and the cost of living. That's the reason why we took a lot of uh, uh, anti-inflation and cost, increase in cost of living measures last year, including the, the stimulus and paying for this to subsidize the, um, well, it was the fuel factor we subsidized. I lost it for a second. And so we, did, we took a number of measures last year to keep inflation down. We're looking at it this year, also this financial year. So we all could, because we, we know that in the Turks and Caicos, we import everything. And so we have imported inflation, which means that we have the inflation that happens in, in the United States and all our markets that we source our materials from. And we have our local inflation on top of that. And so we're paying higher than most of the world in terms of cost of living. And it is a concern for us. It's one of the things that keeps me up at nighttime to see how we can ensure that inflation doesn't get out of control uh, in the country. Honorable Minister, we are right out of time. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to make some closing comments. <laughs> uh, thank you, and, and I hope we don't go out when, when I say this, and I hope it doesn't take a little bit longer than 30 seconds. But something has come to my attention today that makes me very concerned, Mr. Hall. It's where one of two persons who may not be happy with the government uh, advocating hurting politicians. And they've said it in, in groups, chats, that what needs to happen is that someone needs to basically hurt politicians. And we have mature ex-politicians in the group who are not saying anything. And, and then some of them are saying, oh, people don't have the backbone and they're using another term to be able to carry out such things. So they're inciting people to do it, to say, yeah, you're talking about it, but people aren't acting on it and you need to act on it. And they are basically inciting people to hurt politicians. And I want people to know that inside the House of Assembly, we, we are working hard for the people of the Turks and Caicos, but none of us have signed up to have us or our family members hurt. I'm surprised. I know who are some of the people who are encouraging these people. They, they may think it's funny, but it's not funny because someone will going to act out on it and they're going to hurt a politician or someone in government. I'm, I'm telling everyone who may be thinking this not to go down that road. This is not where we want to be, and, and, and I'm disappointed in those ex-politicians and those senior members of the community who sit around and who are not telling people to, uh, to not to go down that road. And, and, and I am and disappointed, highly disappointed, in those members of the community who are inciting it and they may think it's just talk, but this thing is may get out of hand, and, and then someone in government is going to get hurt, and then they're going to be shocked. I am going to be looking into this deeply. I'm going to raise it with the necessary authorities, because for me and my colleagues on both sides of the House uh, deserve to, to be protected. We work very hard for the people of the Turks and Caicos, and to be advocating out there about hurting us, I think is completely unacceptable. And I agree with you 100%, even if I have to take another 30 seconds. We'll say you have some idiots out there who are perpetrating this kind of foolishness, and it must stop and stop now. There are others who under assume name, 
try to tear people apart. It's not going to stop until somebody puts some money there, investigate, and put them before the courts. The way to change a government or to change your representative is to vote them out. That's the way to go. And this whole confrontational attitude and a loud chatter and ignorance, that has to stop. It would be better for some of them to check, I wouldn't say their facts because they're, they're non-factual, some of the nonsense that they're saying before they go before a mic. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read to you something it says. I'm not going to call it a person name. It says, this is what someone wrote. Until someone really hurts some of these politicians, that's the only way they will do better. And the other person said, that will never happen. And, and they called the person in TI. We don't have those kind of people anymore. You all young guys got no, and they, and they name what it is. And that's advocating people to come and hurt politicians. I've said to you, I'm not going to allow my colleagues, that's including the opposition, uh, that's the honorable leader of the opposition, him and his family. I'm not going to sit around and be in a position to allow us or anyone else to be hurt by people when we are working very, very hard for the, for the Turks and Caicos Islands. And, and I'm speaking to those things that they know who they are to stop that type of thinking and don't encourage people to come around and hurting politicians. I'm very angry by this. I am going to be taking this up with the relevant authorities, and I hope this is the last time we have to address this. And if you could get at that name, take it to the, to the limit. They must understand. Their mind, the only one who brought, who, who brought in bad child. You know, they got to understand this thing. That is absolute nonsense. In fact, I, not only for politicians, I don't believe in these sort of threats to a uh, man in the street. Because you see how the, the, the violent turn this country has taken. So I don't want anyone to find an excuse, oh, well, that should be taken metaphorically or some other way. Cut the nonsense out. With that, Turks and Caicos Islands are gone. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm a little bit angry, but God bless you anyway. Thank you.